The retirement of Congressman Susan Davis created a wide-open race for California's 53rd Congressional District. The district includes much of central San Diego, including Balboa Park-adjacent neighborhoods, Mission Valley all the way to El Cajon, and much of eastern Chula Vista. This is a heavily Democratic district, and it is fairly likely that two Democrats will advance to the general election. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. The election is just a few days away. It's getting really close. So let's start with a recap of the 53rd congressional race. This is a wide open race. Let's start with the fundamentals. Charlie? Right. So this is the race to replace uh, longtime rep Susan Davis, who's been in Congress. uh, It'll be two decades when she actually leaves. Very popular, uh, you know, elected official in her respective region. Uh, And because it's a rare open seat, it's drawn... 14 challengers, uh, but really it's become, it seems like a four-way race. So you have, it's a heavily Democratic district. You have a couple of really formidable Democrats. There's uh, Georgette Gomez, who's the San Diego City Council president. Uh, There's Sarah Jacobs, who's well-known for both her nonprofit work and also for running uh, a previous congressional campaign in California's 49th district. She's also the granddaughter of Erwin Jacobs. Uh, and then there's also Janessa Goldbeck, who is a uh, U.S. or was a uh, captain in the Marine Corps. Uh, and then there's also one Republican who we found just in polling has kind of uh, jumped to the front of the pack on his side. And that's Chris Stoddard, uh, who's a pilot, a Marine Corps reservist, uh, and a whole laundry list of other things. And, uh, Michael, so what are some of the key things to understand about this district that may give one of these candidates an advantage over another? Well, that, it's hard to say. As, as Charlie said, it's a very Democratic district. Um, Bernie Sanders did there did well there. He got more votes in 20, the 2016 primary in the 53rd than in any other congressional district. He didn't win. He lost just by a hair or two to, to Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he last month endorsed uh, Georgette Gomez, uh, who's a real favorite of the San Diego progressives, been endorsed by the Democratic local Democratic Party, which certainly leans progressive. And just recently she was endorsed by AOC. So obviously if, if those were too liberal for that district, they wouldn't be endorsing her. So that's one dynamic. But really the, the big dynamic is uh, Sarah Jacobs' money. Uh, she comes from great wealth. She's poured a ton of money into that district, and she leads in the polls. Mm-hmm. So this is certainly different just because, you know, it's been a while since we've had a wide-open race like this. Who's likely to move forward in this race? Well, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it seems it's Sarah Jacobs' race to lose. You know, she's really got huge name ID in part because of the huge amount of money she's put into advertising and things like that. Um, but also, to her credit, she's run a really just successful campaign. I mean, on the ground, she's had canvassers out for months, knocking on doors. Heck, I had one even knock on my door back in early December, which you don't usually see. She's had TV ads on since then. Uh, Also, whenever, you know, you have these different forums and debates where you have all the candidates up there, for whatever fault Sarah may have, you can tell she knows what she's talking about, right? She mm-hmm. was a contractor with the State Department. She worked for UNICEF and some of the international affairs stuff. She was a policy advisor on, I believe, Hillary Clinton's campaign. She really knows the ins and outs of these things. So when it comes to these different kind of settings, she tends to do really well. Our, right now, our polling has her at 23%, uh, which is far and away from everyone else. The other two 
kind of top Democrats in the field, Georgette Gomez only had 5%, uh, and Janessa Goldbeck only had 2 uh, Meanwhile, Chris Stoddard, who hadn't even mounted a campaign really yet, uh, he was polling at 10%. So right now, if our polling's accurate, it's going to be a Jacob Stoddard runoff. Uh, and I'm sure Michael can touch on this a bit, but Sarah's doing her part to make sure it's that as well. Well, mm-hmm. just uh, sort of a bit of a note here that that, that poll might have been accurate at the time, but it's pretty dated. And uh, the other the candidates other than Sarah Jacobs really hadn't kicked in their campaign, a lot of their mailings and stuff so much when that poll happened. So I'm sure the, the landscape's changed a bit. I don't think anything has changed Sarah Jacobs' uh, strong lead. Uh, but it did show this interesting notion that, that uh, Georgia Gomez is a w- well-known uh, figure, and uh, uh, Janessa Goldbeck uh, has risen, uh, certainly gotten a lot of attention. But the poll showed that that one Republican, uh, nobody knew who he was, and and he has hardly campaigned, it had it, uh, it was a distant second in the top two primary, the top two candidates in the primary get to the November election. And it's such a Democratic district that if a Republican is on the ballot with Sarah Jacobs or whoever, uh, the Democrats going to win. What Charlie was referring to is Sarah Jacobs recently put up an ad where she sort of has, depicts this guy Chris Stoddard as the opponent and calls him a Trump Republican and so forth. It's it's pretty ingenious. Uh, some people think it's a little underhanded, but it's a time-honored tactic to try to, you know, try to get the person you think is going to be the weakest to, to run against in November into the November election, and that seems to be what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And I guess it is somewhat odd that Georgette Gomez in that poll, you know, polled relatively low compared to the others. Do you think a part of that is because the district isn't just San Diego? Yes. I think that that uh, having worked in North County a long time ago, once you get out of the city proper, people aren't paying attention as much to the municipal issues. We all knew who the mayor was and things like that, but I just uh, I was a little surprised she, her, she didn't have the name recognition. But there's a lot of territory outside the district, and so um, uh, I'm sure she's done better with her campaign really kicking in. But uh, that was a problem for her. Yeah, and I know the thing that I know we've talked about and that I think about a lot that I know someone posed to me is just how many people actually know who their city councilor is, right? Even in the city of San Diego, there's not that many people who know who their city council person is. They know if there was a bike lane put in recently. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but also that, you know, that kind of creates an uphill battle that as much as Georgette's done locally, who knows how much of that actually carries over to the average voter. Um, and then just also on top of that, you know, I, I think there's also something to be said for having mounted a campaign on this scale, right? It's one thing to run for city council. It's a much smaller you know, pool that you're trying to mm-hmm. appeal to, and there's more of a chance you can actually get out and meet most of the voters. When it comes to a congressional race, it seems like it's a bit different animal. And though I know there are people around her who have done that before, I don't think it can be understated the advantage that someone like Sarah has had just coming in fresh off of already having done it. Sure, it was somewhere else, but still. Mm-hmm. And what role do you, do you think that the military and veterans will have in this race, given that that was one of those things that Stephen Davis was known for really pushing? Right. Well, I know uh, our colleague, uh, Andrew Dyer, who's a great military reporter, uh, you know, I know we recently pow out a bit on a story about that exact thing. Uh, and, you know, it's there's a huge military and veteran presence in that district. It's 
arguably the combination of the two is the largest of any of our five congressional districts. Susan Davis, as you noted, really made her bread and butter on the Armed Services Committee uh, as one of the highest ranking members on it. So I, I think there's an expectation, certainly, just given Davis's own background in it, that whoever fills that seat will similarly, you know, take the lead on a lot of military and veterans issues. Now, there's a lot of interesting stuff when you actually look at veterans voting behavior that uh, kind of suggests, you know, that's not their primary driving voting characteristic isn't the fact they're a veteran. It's a lot of other things. But it, it certainly seems to be an issue that we've seen a couple of the candidates really highlight. Well, and particularly Janessa Goldbeck, who, who uh, is a retired uh, Marine or is no longer actively serving. And uh, a lot of her focus is on her military background. Uh, I, Charlie's right that, that uh, you can't paint uh, veterans just as sort of that sole issue. But there's an interesting other aspect here is that you know, with the exit of Duncan Hunter, we all know his story, and Susan Davis, they were two San Diegans on the House Armed Services Committee. And uh, you know, there's the expectation, I think, that this person might get on there, but it really, for such a military town, that's kind of a peculiar position for San Diego to be in. Now, uh, Duncan Hunter's replacement could be named to that committee as well, I suppose, but uh, so I don't know that that quite factors into it, but clearly uh, Janessa Goldbeck is thinking that's a, a big uh, asset because she's pushing that very hard. Mm-hmm. And also uh, the Union Tribune editorial board endorsed Goldbeck in this race. What have you seen from reaction to that just kind of in the political spheres? Um, I think it surprised people. Uh, uh, I think that there was a lot of, uh, to be quite honest, uh, Matt Hall, the, the editorial director, got a, a lot of compliments, I think, for the, the way they portrayed that. Both Charlie and I have seen the candidates on the stump, and I think they all are pretty good and pretty knowledgeable. Because we knew less about Janessa Goldbeck, I think she impressed a lot of people, and certainly our editorial board, with her knowledge and presentation. Um, so they've made some interesting choices, and, and I think also, getting off on a little bit of a tangent here, but the history of the, the Union Tribune, I mean, let's face it, another generation, really not that long ago, it was a very conservative editorial board. So mm-hmm. when you start seeing them uh, endorse liberal Democrats, uh, an LGBTQ Democrat like uh, Janessa Goldbeck, uh, it, it catches people a little bit by surprise. It shouldn't. They've been pretty consistent for some time, but uh, sometimes uh, people still view it through a certain prism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting how like the, the, that legacy kind of hangs around many years after things have changed. Right. And uh, recently you had an interesting column about celebrities getting involved in this race. Well, the big endorsement. <laughs> yeah, it was particularly, you know, political celebrities. We mentioned Bernie Sanders and AOC. Uh, it was kind of intriguing that, that uh, uh, Janessa Goldbeck, uh, who we've been speaking of, got a, uh, one that sort of came out of the blue, actress and activist Mia Farrow. Mia Farrow went on Twitter to basically endorse her and, and uh, urge people to support her. Sort of raise a question. Well, how did this happen? Well, as you know from Mia Farrow's activism, she's been involved in a lot of humanitarian efforts, particularly in the uh, Sudan Darfur co- conflict. And before Janessa Goldbeck was in the Marines, she worked with groups uh, in that realm, uh, advocating uh, for you know sort of humanitarian aid and for UN peacekeepers. And they crossed paths, and obviously uh, Mia Farrow was taken with her. So she's got four hundred thousand followers on Twitter. Uh, uh, what that actually means in that district, it's probably not as big of a deal as, as Bernie Sanders and AOC, but uh, people can contribute from all over, well, from all over the country uh, to a candidate, so she probably got a little bit of a boost from that. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly, like, having a candidate that has a unique story certainly helps you, you know, fundraise on a more national scale than just kind of being 
your run of the mill Democrat. Right, right. And similarly, did, uh, did Bernie Sanders and AOC's endorsement put uh, Georgette Gomez on the map for progressives and progressive groups nationwide a little bit in terms of fundraising? We'll see. Mm-hmm. And finally, when considering the congressional delegation that you know will go into the next Congress, what does San Diego lose, you know, not having Susan Davis and not having Duncan Hunter? Because, you know, we're going to have two freshmen in the House next year. Right. Well, you know, I guess first on Davis, because I, I did get to spend some time kind of profiling her in the wake of her decision. And I have to say one of the most striking things, and this is the only elected official I've ever had this experience with, Republicans, Democrats, probably the most diverse group of people on the political spectrum that I could find and just diverse backgrounds all just had effusive praise for her um, and a really genuine kind of connection that she really had this reputation as being a very accessible local congresswoman who didn't look for the national spotlight. She was more of a consensus builder. She was kind of viewed as that person in the delegation who could really bring them together. Plus, as a, you know, 18, 19 year veteran of Congress, she really knew how to navigate the halls and get things done. Uh, so they certainly lose that. And, you know, we go from having, and I know Michael has written about this before, just a delegation that was largely the same and defined by its seniority to just in the span of, what, a half decade, not even, or maybe a little past that, it's virtually all new faces. Yeah, and I guess it is kind of unfair to suggest that ISO would be a freshman if he you know, gets back in. But I guess technically it resets, right? <laughs> right, right. Well, that would be the one tweak, right? And that is part of ISO's own campaigning, right, is that his own experience. And I'm sure he's, you know, he's spoken about it. And I, I would venture a guess that at some point maybe, you know, some of the others would comment on it. But, you know, they did have a reputation as a delegation for coalescing around certain issues, especially when it was ISA, Davis, Vargas. Uh, and Peters. Mm-hmm. Well, and just uh, Daryl Issa has mentioned, and I have no reason to doubt him, that, that the Republican leadership not only would welcome him back, I mean, they've all virtually endorsed him to begin with, but would pretty much put him at his seniority status, that he wouldn't suddenly reset the clock. At least that's what the, the word is. So that certainly is something that he's been uh, ballyhooing and, and uh, portraying as a real asset and why people should vote for him. Mm-hmm. Right. And returning to the other half of your question, the the Duncan side of it, uh, you know, Duncan, for his faults, he also had a reputation for being really good when it came to constituent services. I know that Davis's office was widely regarded as not just the best at it in San Diego, but the best at it nationally. They actually did trainings and stuff for all the other members of Congress. Uh, But part of the love for the hunters in that region was the fact that both Duncan uh, D. Hunter and Duncan L. Hunter were really strong on responding to constituents. Uh, and then also, obviously, as you've previously mentioned, huge military advocates. Uh, and that might be one of those things with what a big military community we have out here that's kind of lost in the shuffle when you lose Davis and Hunter, our two members of the Armed Services Committee. Nope. All right. Michael Smolens, Charlie Clark, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. In other news... A poll released Tuesday shows Democrat Amar Kampanajar and Republican Daryl Issa as the favorites to move on to the November general election in the race for California's 50th congressional district. A San Diego Union-Tribune 10 News poll of 552 likely voters conducted by SurveyUSA shows Kampanajar leading a crowded field of 10 candidates, with 35 percent, followed by Issa's 21 percent. 
They are then followed by Carl DeMaio, who was the only other candidate in the field to register double-digit support, garnering 15% of the vote. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live every weekday evening. With spring training beginning soon, the UT's Padres podcast returns for its third season. Listen to UT Sports Editor Jay Posner and Padres beat writer Kevin Acey discuss the preseason. For a full listing of our audio offerings, go to uniontrip.com slash podcasts. Until next time.